You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is Michael Litchens, your faithful editor of CatholicExchange.com. Today we're talking about zombies, the apocalypse, horror, fiction, and a whole lot of fun stuff that we don't get to talk about as often. With me today is... Daniel Stewart and Carrie Donaldson, you know them both for their writing on CatholicExchange.com. Carrie and Daniel, welcome. If you'd be so kind, Daniel, could you introduce us, yourself to us? Hey, Michael and Carrie. Hello. Uh, yeah, I'm Daniel Stewart. I write on Catholic Exchange, and I also write on my own blog, Daniel-Bearman.com, and I've been preparing for the zombie apocalypse for at least 10 years now. For you and Carrie, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi there. Um, I write for Catholic Exchange. I also write at clan-donaldson.com. Um, I have been preparing for the zombie apocalypse for 11 years now, Whoa. which means I have a full year. <laughs> wow. I've only been preparing for, uh, let's see, I started in grad school because I really didn't want to study for my theology <laughs> MA. Uh, so I've only been preparing for eh, maybe five, six years. You guys got me beat. <laughs> uh, like I said, we're talking about zombies. Before we go any further, I just want to let everyone know there's going to be spoilers about iZombie, The Walking Dead, probably some spoilers about Battlestar Galactica. I don't know why, but there <laughs> probably will be. So if you don't want spoilers, turn us off now. If you don't care or you're caught up as you should be, keep listening. <laughs> now to start us off first, I want to ask you both, what is this cultural attraction and the literature attraction, especially in the recent years with zombies and the apocalypse? What do you guys think it is? Uh, Daniel? Um, I think a lot of it has to do, um, you know, zombies are really kind of a, um, a modern cultural phenomenon. Um, you know, a lot of other horror kind of goes back, you know, at least a couple hundred years, vampires, werewolves, you know, people have been writing stories about those for a long time and zombies are pretty new. And I think a lot of it has to do with kind of our societal, um, anxieties about different mm-hmm. problems. Um, from the very beginning, zombies have been used as kind of a vehicle to talk about wider problems in society you know from the beginning like with night of the living dead kind of dealing with some racism and uh red scare kind of things and then um <laughs> but now i think the big thing is um sort of some feelings of isolationism um or not isolationism but feelings of isolation and feelings of loneliness in this culture and so you kind of have zombies as this i mean obviously very dark vehicle for that where People are surrounded by other people, but those people are dead and disconnected. Um, and so you've got you know, these characters in the middle of all of that trying to navigate this uh, very dark world. Um, so I think that's a lot of what it has to do with. How about you, Carrie? I think that on the surface, zombies are a, a sort of contagion fear. That we think that we're in this you know, 21st century sort of boy in the bubble, there are relatively few diseases or ailments that we can't control, and the ones that are out of our control sort of bring the deeper problem to the forefront that we're not in control, that, you know, this very nice technological sanitized world that we exist so dependent on really hangs by a thread. And I think that zombies are a convenient vehicle to help us imagine what if that all fell apart. So in a way, the zombie apocalypse that we keep writing about and seeing in movies, it's sort of an outward, as most horror is really, an outward expression of an internal fear. I can't remember the full history of zombies. I know it goes back to Haitian religions. But do you think, why are zombies particularly suddenly coming about out all of a sudden? Do you guys see a 
connection also with any anxieties or any fears within our social lives? Well, I think what's interesting about zombies is they've really made a, a pretty big change because, you know, in, in voodoo and in, in like this Haitian uh, voodoo, really you've got like a person who controls a zombie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure there's some pretty demonic stuff there and it's there's probably some something real to it. But, you know, the way we have zombies now is it kind of combines um, this idea of a, a living dead thing with this apocalypse. And I, I think it kind of definitely links up with what Carrie was talking about, where we, you know, we kind of live in a very safe world, a very sanitized world. But I, I think we know that we don't have to think about it, but, you know, you know that there's that safety isn't certain. And so I think that has something to do with it. I also think people kind of like imagining what it would be like if we didn't have to live in society, um, if we didn't have to live in the kind of world that we that we do, like a nine to five kind of thing. So I think a lot of people mm-hmm. sort of like to imagine that for some reason. Carrie, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that the imagining, you know, if we got to drop all the rat rice and sort of, you know, make our own destiny is, is a big part of it. But I think that it also has a lot to do with our struggling with our culture, for sure, about what is the, the importance of a body? Why, why do we have bodies? I mean, we're at a point now where we're such a culture of death that bodies are disposable and they should bend to our will. And if they don't bend to our will, we trash them. And so here we're confronted with this monster that is exactly sort of what we're imagining our body is just a, a meat puppet, but a meat puppet that can kill us. And I think that it sort of <laughs> taps into the struggle we have. A meat puppet that can kill us. I'm going to copyright that phrase someday. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think, um, you know, a lot of science fiction and fantasy kind of deals with what a body is, um, in totally separate science fiction, I think about like a lot of futuristic sci-fi. You know, they deal with this a lot in Star Trek, where um, yes. a body or a person is just the firing synapses in the brain, and you know, it's these memories, and that's it. That's what a person is. You could take all of it and put it on a computer, and you would still have that person. The body is just totally expendable. And in a very different way, you kind of have zombies dealing with that, where a lot of zombie fiction will deal with this at some point and say, okay, well, here's this person. Now they're dead. Okay, now they're moving again. And so you have this body that's completely and totally separate from the brain, from the mind. And I think a lot of times people, maybe not in the zombie fiction itself, but we kind of reject that. We say, well, this can't it's kind of very dark and depressing when you think about it that way. And you see right. these people, uh, well, that's not this person anymore. That person is just totally gone. Their thoughts are gone and therefore that person is gone and it's over. Um, and I think a lot of people, when they really think about that, kind of want to reject that idea, but don't really have a basis for rejecting it. Yeah, you see that in The Walking Dead. The The, the characters who are trying to cling to this sense that some humanity remains after death, even though this body is reanimated. They're the ones that are cast, you know, you had the, the scientist in Mayberry and you had um, Morgan at the beginning. They're clinging to false hope, that it's very much the message that the body and the soul are separate and almost accidental that they ever met at all. Quite yeah. right. And, and uh, you know, there's, 
when we're looking at it from our physical perspective and just from reality, you kind of have to deal with that. You know, you have this person and once they die and they're gone, what happened? Like, do they exist or is it just, you know, is there a spirit that's gone or some kind of weird other thing? We don't like to think about that too much, but uh, you kind of have to deal with that at, at some point, I think. I agree, and uh, I knew I was going to talk about Battlestar Galactica in this <laughs> podcast, so I am, but the, we mentioned science fiction and the question of what is the body and what does it mean. That was something I thought was very well done in the remake of Battlestar Galactica, where the machines now have resurrection, they call it resurrection, where they're able to download and transfer their consciousness and their life, really. And the question the machines keep asking themselves is, are we alive? Do we have thoughts? Do we have religion? Do we have souls? And that was a, for me, it made it for very interesting questions. It's why I love speculative fiction, because how do we ask these questions, especially in a secular society? And on that note, I do have another question for you guys. Sci-fi has had some great religious authors, namely Tim Powers and a few other great authors. Uh, but with zombies, it's almost entirely secular undertaking. Do you still see that religious influences have snuck their way in at all? Daniel? Yeah, definitely. Um... I mean, I, I think you'll often see in um, zombie literature it, at least the trappings of religion. You know, mm. off the top of my head, I can think of, you know, Walking Dead. There's several scenes in churches. They have a Episcopal Episcopalian priest. I think about 28 days later, there's a pretty memorable scene inside a church. Uh, so they're often using religious imagery for sure. And then I, I think even sometimes trying to deal with religious characters who were dealing with this, um, you know, catastrophe, not even just uh, the theology of what a zombie is, but just uh, the theology of, well, I mean, theodicy and just the theology of this evil and catastrophe and, you know, where is God and all this? And they always have people Mm -hmm. asking these kinds of questions. You know, I think that if you take, Zombieism as a metaphor for sin, because I think that we can argue pretty easily that, except for rare cases, universally being a zombie is considered a bad thing. There are very few people who would argue, yeah, zombie, let's go. So I think that if we take zombies, we take zombies as a secular stand-in for sin, I think that it's interesting to see that the human impetus is still to fight it. It's still to try and not succumb to it. Um, there's the scene in iZombie, which I like watching, where the, the lead reluctantly reveals her zombieism to her coworker, and she's expecting him to scorn her at best, at worst to, you know, run shrieking into the streets of Portland. But instead, he just looks at her with something close to compassion, because he's not a particularly compassionate person. But he looks at her and he says, you need to give me a blood sample. And she's taken aback by his response. And he says, well, I'm going to be the one who cures this. And she's dumbfounded. And he looks at her with such mercy and such just sympathy. And he says, oh, my gosh, you expect it to be like this forever? And I think that I think that secular writers get taken aback by how religious themes creep in so easily to zombie um, stories that if we look at it as a metaphor for sin. Isn't that the perfect reaction that we should have to sin? We should reject it. We should say, yeah, this isn't what you want to be. Let's fix it. What can I do to help you 
not fall into this again? What can I do to, to help heal you? And I think that, you know, you see gems like that in zombie stories all the time, and I like finding them. Right. You also see, I remember in The Walking Dead with Herschel, uh, one of my absolute favorite characters, both the comic book and the TV show. At first, he was kind of almost, you know, seemed sort of fundamentalist and almost felt like the writers were about to start mocking religion. And then a few episodes later, Herschel becomes sort of the spiritual center, the moral center of this group in The Walking Dead. He's sort of the one that reminds everyone who, what their humanity is and why they are so different from the dead. Did you guys see any of that at all? I think Herschel was another character who got away from the writers. Like, I think that their intent was to mock him. And by making right. him look ridiculous, make organized religion ridiculous as well. But I think that he got away from them and he sort of espoused these bigger truths that they didn't even realize they were tapping into. And even with Herschel's death, you still saw it. Um, the, the season finale of this past year, there was the, the priest character who was awful and Herschel's daughter, her sur- the only surviving daughter, who's also awful, and um, another character, also awful. And they all have this awful sort of climactic fight. And at the end of it, when they, they come through the hurricane, there's this, this quiet scene where they're just sitting there holding hands and praying. And it was, again, it was sort of shocking, I guess, to see religion taken as something that was still meaningful and healing, even in the context of a zombie apocalypse. Yes. Um, I think for in another story in World War Z, in the movie version, now I'll just preface this, I'm a huge fan of Max Brooks' novel, World War Z. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge fan of the movie, but Preach Father it. Baron talks about... World War Z and points out something that I thought was pretty profound. So you got this, this is total spoiler here. If anybody hasn't seen World War Z, they were warned. Yeah. So Brad Pitt, he ends up at the center for disease control, I guess some, some building. Mm -hmm. And so you've got these zombies who are, um, you know, have this terrible disease. I think they do die in in the movie version. So they're dead. They have this terrible uh, problem. And so Brad Pitt goes into the middle of this the cure ends up being him taking on the disease. And so he has to <laughs> take on this, uh, he like injects himself with this virus. And so then can become immune to it and now has this cure for the disease. And so Father Baron kind of connects that with sin and how Christ came into the middle of our suffering and um, takes on the disease in a sense and thereby cures it. So I think you can kind of see Brad Pitt again. He's often his Christ figure, but Brad Pitt's his Christ figure. He comes down and, and takes on uh, the suffering and thereby cures what was otherwise an incurable disease. It's Father Baron, just Father Baron there, not me. Oh, I, I figured, but still great. I'm glad someone got something out of that movie, even if it had to be Father Baron. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. I, in general, I don't like fast zombies. I like zombies nice and slow, lumbering mm-hmm. around, tripping over stuff. I can run away. Those kind of zombies. Uh, Don't like the fast ones. I'm with you 100%, even though I did kind of like 28 Days Later. 20 Days Later was great. I really enjoyed 20 Days Later. And uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to get into more of the religious dimension of zombies. Stay with us right here on the Catholic Exchange Podcast. We're just going to have a few messages from our sponsors. One moment. CatholicExchange.com is your resource to learn and grow in the faith of the Catholic Church. 
We publish three articles a day about the examples of the saints, growing in holiness, and enriching your prayer life. Stop by CatholicExchange.com and sign up for our free newsletter to receive daily articles, as well as offers on the best spiritual books out there. CatholicExchange.com, making saints in our own time. And welcome back to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Here I am with Daniel Stewart and Carrie Donaldson. We've been talking zombies, sci-fi, a whole lot of things, actually. And now we're talking about the religious influences in those genres. Uh, what I want to ask you both, uh, we were talking a little bit about the unseen or the really hidden religious images that probably snuck in on the writers with zombie films and zombie TV shows. I'm just curious, do you see anything about the zombies and the resurrection? Is there something intentional going on? Do people even know that they might be making a connection with that or maybe even kind of mocking it? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think occasionally it's, it's mocked openly. I mean, in the second season of The Walking Dead, we already talked about Herschel. There's kind of a funny part yes. towards the beginning of his development where they have him like looking at his Bible and saying something about, I'd always believed in the resurrection of the dead, but now I didn't think it'd be like this. And so it kind of like has this mockery of, oh, The Walking Dead is a silly version of, you know, the resurrection. I think occasionally they'll kind of try to get some some of that religious imagery in there intentionally and it kind of is a little weak from my perspective carrie do you see any of that i do i think that it's interesting if you think about the resurrection and the glorified bodies that we get i think that zombies help us realize that there is more to that and there's everybody that you run across and all the mythology when they set up how the infection started or whatever it was they're always just baffled that, that this could even happen, that, you know, you're dead and these people come back to life. And it, how is this, what is this thing? Because I think there is wired in us a sense that we were meant for something greater, that one of the reasons that zombies are such an abomination is because we do harbor this understanding deep within us that we were made for greatness. We have these glorified bodies that will come to us at the end, and it's not what zombies offer us. Yeah, and I think this is a really great opportunity for Catholics, especially, to examine what they believe about this, because uh, we're really kind of alone here with the Eastern Orthodox in, in this idea that the body and the soul are integrally connected, and yes. that, you know, the body is not accidental, that we are body and soul, like we're not a soul that happens to have a body, we're not a, you know, a soul, and that's the person and the body is our shell. No, we are a body and a soul together. And Catholic theology has really given the deepest expression of that. And I think it'd be really great for Catholics to examine that idea and to delve into it and understand it. Because it's, you know, it's it's foreign, especially in our society now where you know, it's kind of funny in our culture today. We're both materialists. You know, we believe only in a material world. Uh, the mm-hmm. physical reality is all that exists. But yet, most people still continue to believe in some sort of strange ethereal reality that is never clearly defined. And so we have these two kind of heresies that exist together and that, you know, Catholicism is really the only true answer to this to say, no, it's not just a material world. There is a spiritual reality, but it's intricately connected here to the material world and that this, the resurrection is going to be real. Like you do have you will have a, a physical, glorified, yes, but a physical body. 
um, that's going to have the properties. You, know, you see Jesus show up in the New Testament, and he makes it very clear that uh, you can touch and feel his wounds, that he can eat, that he can do all these things that a body can do, and that we're going to experience this too. And this is a crazy idea to most people. And so it's worth examining for, for Catholics to really delve into this and um, get to the heart of it. Very good. And I agree. I actually was thinking about uh, St. Augustine's City of God while you were talking about the body. Something Augustine said that always struck it out to me, and I just can't imagine this, is he was talking about the resurrection and what will the martyrs appear to us as. Mm-hmm. And Augustine proposed that actually the martyrs would be carrying their own wounds while they were resurrected while they were resurrected and walking in heaven because these wounds are now their glory, much like Christ's wounds are now his glory. The martyrs will, you know, be coming through Cecilia with her eyes or uh, I hope Bartholomew isn't completely <laughs> flayed, but that will just creep me out. I don't care how glory it is. <laughs> it's turning really gory to glory to use this old catchphrase. And that's something that always struck me and stayed with me long after I managed to read through the city of God the first time. Because that's something we don't even think about in America, especially with our Protestant upbringings. Yes, the body is important, and the body is part of God's design. And that's something I wonder if there's a little bit of dualism still going on within the zombies of separating the body from the soul. Don't know if either of you see that at all. Yeah, definitely. Zombies are just one part of the apocalypse in apocalyptic literature. You know, in the 80s and 70s, we were afraid of the Cold War, so we had stuff like Mad Max, which made a return, don't ask me why. <laughs> uh, we also see it a lot in our Protestant friends bringing the rapture many times, and even fiction about the end of the civil- of civilization. There's the TV show Jericho. Why do we in 21st century America have such a, an obsession and an interest in what the apocalypse will look like and what it will do. Daniel, do you have any thoughts on that? I'm not sure why we're so interested in this, except that maybe we're just dissatisfied. Mm -hmm. You know, we're dissatisfied with the way that we're living. And, you know, I think you see that a whole lot in a lot of zombie literature um, and media where you kind of see a a parody of um, modern life and kind of a critique of it. You know, I think about um, Night of the Living Dead 2, is that the one that's at the mall? Yeah, uh, yes, that was uh, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead, where you kind of have this critique of consumerist culture and kind of a dissatisfaction with it. And I think that's why we really relish that aspect of it. I think you really see that in um, a zombie parody, Shaun of the Dead. I think they do that really... Uh, I mean, it's a parody film, but I think they do that really well where they kind of sort of parody modern life with zombie fiction and sort of show how sometimes you sort of act like zombies. I think of the three of us, I'm the only one who is still working a, um, an office job with lots of, you know, I work in a cube, that kind of thing, where you know, I think you see people who are dissatisfied with this. They know, you know, this isn't this isn't the way we should be living. Uh, there's got to be more than this, but not really seeing a way out of uh, kind of a trap of materialism and consumerism. And so kind of relishing the idea of what if there was this terrible event and suddenly I had to live off the land and be on the road with my family and like defend myself, this kind of, this kind of idea. Like the only, it's almost like it's the only way we can see out of being trapped in this consumerism and, uh, just boring life. Yeah, to, to sort of dovetail off that, I think that I think it's almost an, the way that we can feel compassion for 
people in other parts of the world. I mean, let's face it, there are a, a pack of horrors that are everywhere in the world right now that we can only sort of touch the, the periphery of, of the extent of the terribleness. Um, and I think that, you know, most of us here in, in the West, we're not going to be martyred for our faith. We're not going to, you know, starve on the streets or be imprisoned for our political beliefs and the sorts of terrible things that our brothers and sisters around the world do have to deal with. And I think that because we are social animals and we do want to keep that community, I feel like almost imagining these terrible apocalyptic things are a way for us to sort of break out of that numbness that having this sanitary, sanitized, I can have pretty much whatever I want, whenever I want world, it makes us numb. And so the apocalyptic daydreams, I guess, help us to feel compassion for people who are living that. It's perverse, but I think that it might sometimes come from a place of goodness. I definitely see that, especially I think about whenever I start daydreaming about the apocalypse, I'm immediately worried, thinking to myself, well, why am I worried about the apocalypse? Anyone who's living in Iraq or Syria right now as a Christian is in the apocalypse as far as they're concerned. It is chaotic, and I, my heart goes out to those people. So I definitely can see sometimes, you know, the daydreaming is a way for us to try to imagine what we would do in those situations. And maybe in our imagination, we'll act heroically either as the early apostles or, if you're like me, John Connor from Terminator, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> Do you guys see a theological or moral concern with this apocalyptic genre or with zombies? Do you think there's maybe almost a, too much of an obsession with violence or the idea of enjoying chaos? Daniel, do you see that at all? You know, I think that can be true of any kind of media or fiction. I, I think in general, I mean, I off the top of my head, I can think of, you know, if you look at Netflix right now, there's really bad zombie movies out there oh that no gosh, one should yes. watch. but you know, most of the stuff that's available on demand on Netflix is stuff that you shouldn't watch just because it's dumb and bad. So, yeah, there's probably something to that where we kind of relish this slasher film violence, that kind of thing. Uh, but I think the the good zombie fiction that really does uh, well with the genre always has something worthwhile to say. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as far as media, I think... I mean, I think most people definitely should watch uh, Rise of the Living Dead um, and some of these other films. And, you know, Max Brooks' uh, World War Z is totally worth we reading um, just as like a political commentary and a social commentary. So, yeah, I, I think there's uh, lots of, of good stuff still available. I think that it's pretty much par for the course of the enemy to take anything that would be beneficial to us and encourage us to go beyond, to distort it, to twist it, so that there's right. no longer any benefit, so right. that it becomes detrimental. So if you take, for example, a genre of fiction, which helps us to identify, for example, what makes a good community, what is the, what's the dangers of isolation? If I lived in isolation, would I be able to survive? Then, of course, that says the, the you know, MO of the enemy to push you towards that direction to make you go so far into this apocalyptic mindset that you do isolate yourself, that you do view your fellow man as the enemy. So, you know, that you see that everywhere with, with anything at all. There's always 
you know, the enemy there trying to strip what's good and make us miss sight of the gold. Yeah, you know, I think if people don't want to watch zombie movies, that's totally fine. I wouldn't pressure anybody into that. Um, but I think, I think somebody, I think you mentioned this earlier, Michael, that horror can kind of be a, a gauge of some of our anxieties and fears. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's where zombie fiction can really come in handy just to understand what people are afraid of now and, uh, what we're concerned about. And obviously it's not literally the walking dead, but, uh, seeing fears of, of isolation and, and fears of social anxiety and, uh, this loneliness a lot of people experience, um, that I think really zombie fiction is, is playing off of now is just really good to understand at least this is what's going on with people, the people that we're trying to reach as Catholics. And I was also thinking of the original walking, I'm sorry, night of the living dead Romero's old black and white film, which not only explored our fear of nukes and radiation, which obviously back in that time we were afraid of that. This was a constant fear, but also explored racism and race relations in America uh, that film was considered a landmark because it showed a African-American man being the hero, being the protector, being the one people could rally behind and get around and get behind his leadership to protect themselves. And that was an amazing way to use that zombies as social commentary in that <laughs> regard, because I think most pe- audiences were more shocked that there was a black man leading these people mm-hmm. rather than the dead were now rising. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I think also... Talking about like the religious concerns of zombies here and, uh, you know, its relevance to Catholics. I think one thing that we should always understand and remember is that for these fears that we have, these concerns that we have, the church has the answer to those. Um, I think it's really interesting to see that in horror and horror fiction. You think about like Dracula which was intentionally mm-hmm. an antichrist, kind of a, a figure who was counter to Christ. You have this like dead man who's alive and is literally taking blood from people instead of Christ, who is a dead man who's now alive and gives his blood to everyone. And so you kind of have Dracula as this, I mean, a literal antichrist, a reverse of Christ. And so Christ is the answer to that, this fear that we have that you can see in this vampire fiction. And so like in zombie fiction, you know, we have this social anxiety or this fear of isolation and um, we should be afraid of that. It's true that, you know, we shouldn't be alone, um, that it's not good to live by yourself in the middle of all these people, in the middle of this huge culture that seems vibrant, but really isn't. And so in that sense, you know, we have the answer to that in the church. You know, you don't have to be alone in this crowd anymore, that you can be here um, and a part of a real community and that we have the answer to this, you know, fear we have of uh, life after death and all this kind of stuff that, that the church has the answer to these questions um, and these fears that people have. All right. The final question I have for you two, uh, as we end the, bring this podcast to a close, I just want to ask of, uh, Let's say the zombies are coming up to your door and you have only a few seconds to prepare. What's the first item you reach for and what's the prayer you're praying while you reach for it? Well, we've had some trouble in the past with raccoons stealing our chickens. So to deal with this, my wife Haley can attest that we have a machete in our kitchen. It's on top of the cabinet. 
And uh, so I'm ready. Zombies come, going right to that machete. I'm ready to go. Uh, the first prayer would obviously be uh, prayer of St. Michael. Get ready for battle. Get out there. Deal with the undead. <laughs> How about you, Carrie? I also have a machete in my kitchen. <laughs> um, <laughs> not for raccoons, but just to cut down brush. But if a raccoon, you know, was in the brush, I, I can't promise that I wouldn't hit it by accident. So I would be ready. I, I've got the, the machete at hand. Apparently that was just a standard issue. Um, Homeschool families. And I, I don't know. Homeschool families and the, the kitchen machete. I don't know if I would have the wherewithal to actually form a coherent prayer. You know, I, I have little kids and I always try to teach them that saying, you know, oh, my God, you, you can't just say that out of surprise that, you know, saying that needs to be a prayer. So if you say something like, oh, my God, it should be a prayer. And because they're little, they love to hear shows when someone says, oh, my God, and they turn to me. They're like, that person's swearing. So I try to, well, you know, maybe they were really upset at the time. So maybe it was a prayer. And I think that's what I would be. Machete in one hand, my God, coming off my lips and just bonsai as I went out the door to try and protect my family. I don't homeschool because I have no children. That would be weird if I did homeschool. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure I, so I don't have a machete. The heaviest thing I own would be one of my books, which I, believe going back to augustine it is in fact my copy of the city of god which is a nice hardbound book must weigh close to 500 pounds somewhere right around there (laughs) that thing packs a wall because i've dropped it on my foot and i've let out one of those words carrie says her children should never say (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that would be what i would go out with and i would hope that i'd pray lord jesus son of living god have mercy on me a sinner the jesus prayer but chances are it would be a lot of oh just let me do this well don't let me die quickly (laughs) (laughs) thank you both so much for coming on here today thank you all for listening to this as we talked about zombie science fiction a little bit of augustine and father baron covered a lot of ground today and i'm sure we'll be doing this podcast again to talk more about this and other genres Carrie, Daniel, I can't thank you both enough. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Well, God bless you all. Thank you so much for listening once again. You can find Carrie at Clan Donaldson, and Daniel is also at Daniel Behrman. I'll put those links in our show notes, and I will also link them to their Facebook groups, which they always have interesting conversations about all these subjects. So come on anytime. If you want to know more about this, come into CatholicExchange.com. As we get through the summer months, we'll have more discussions. God love you all. Have a wonderful week.